Hi folks, welcome back to the City of Champions podcast, episode number three. I'm your host, Aiden Martin, and today we're going to be talking about the Red Sox and Celtics and um, some of college basketball teams at NH and what I think their season's going to look like this year. Without further ado, let's jump right into it. So my um, first topic is going to be about the Celtics, and my topic is, can the Celtics keep winning without Hayward since he got hurt around, I think it was three weeks ago against the Spurs. So Hayward was kind of a freakish action. He was running, I think, under a pick. I just know Aldridge tried to set a pick on him, and he tried to go under it, and he kind of like ran into Aldridge's shoulder and just really ran, kind of ran into him, not that hard, smacked his wrist on his shoulder, and his wrist broke, which just sucks because he was playing really well. He was shooting like 50% from the field, 40% from three, and we were playing really well. We were like 10-1, 10-2. That stinks. He got injured, but... So since then they played ten more games after the Spurs game, and they've gone six and four, which isn't that bad because six of the ten games are on the road in the Western Conference. So and plus the Western Conference is a lot um, harder in the East. So I thought that was a positive sign. And the player that stepped up the most without Hayward, I think, has been Jalen Brown because he's averaged eighteen point six points per game with like seven rebounds, like three four assists. That was pretty much what Hayward was giving them before he got injured. Pretty much the same numbers, 18 points, 7 and 6 rebounds, 3 4 assists. I don't know about the shooting percentages. But I think Brown's really stepped up. And then Walker, of course, he's been taking a lot, I guess, more shots because he's getting Hayward shots now. Because Brown, sometimes, Brown doesn't start off the game hot. He usually kind of like. I don't know, it really seems like he doesn't get into the game. He doesn't start off like really hot, like 10 points in the first. So Walker's had to pick it up, which is expected. He's also a point guard. I think the other guy people forget about is Brad Watermaker, guy we signed from Europe halfway through the year last year. And I thought he's really stepped up. He's been averaging like 10, 12 points off the bench, but may not seem a lot, but that's really good for the bench. I didn't even think he was going to be getting playing time this year. And I'm surprised that some of the rookies like um, Grant Williams and Carson Edwards, they haven't been playing as much, especially with Hayward injured. It looks like Stevens is going more towards the veterans, like Watermaker and Smart. And everybody was smart starting, I shouldn't say that. But um, Hayward is um, expected to be probably back around Christmas. He's about three weeks, so he's about halfway through right now. And so the Celtics have... Nine more games before Christmas. I predict that they're going to go 6-3 and three on that span. They gave him a Christmas it's a big one. I think it's the Raptors at 12 in Toronto. So hopefully Hayward can return that day because I think we're going to go 6-3, and three, but who knows? I mean, that could go out the window. We could go 3-6 and six and be down in the standings. So um, I still think we're going to play well without him. I mean, we're not going to be as, I think, as good. Because um, he brings a lot to the table. He's like a second point guard in the floor. I think people forget about it. He's like he's a really good passer. Knows the system. I mean, because of Stevens. Stevens coached him in college. Um, and Butler. But, yeah, so I guess the answer to that is yes. I think the Celtics can keep winning. Even though Hayward's up for six weeks. Um. Okay, I guess going to the next point. Again, is about the Celtics. This has been the talk of the town probably... I know in Boston, probably nationally too, is um, Kyrie was supposed to um, make his return to the Garden November 27th since he's on the Nets. And like I think it was like a week before 
he said he had a shoulder injury, and it said he was day-to-day, but I kind of had a feeling. I'm like, wow, is he really going to miss this game? So my point is, do you think Kyrie faked an injury just to miss his return to Boston because he doesn't want to face the music of the fans? Since he knew, he, since he knows he's going to get booed, yelled at, screamed at, everything in the book, signs. And actually, me and my buddies went to this game, and we bought the tickets like three months ago because they were jacking that price up. Like I think the cheapest ticket was like around $100 because they knew, I mean, everybody wants to go. They want to see Kyrie's return to the garden. The place is going to be going nuts. So... It was really disappointing he didn't play. It makes it even worse. He didn't even travel with the team. Usually most injured players, even in road games, they'll be in street clothes on the side. Um, so when Celtics fans heard that, they were really mad. Even going into the garden, people had posters all around the, um, on telephone poles, subways. of uh, It showed Irving's face, and it said coward. And they even had the Wizard of Oz lion, like his, photo, his face photoshopped in the lion's head. Um... And somebody else, um, so I, in my mind, I do think he missed the return of Boston because Kyrie, like, you'd think most NBA players don't think what fans, they don't care what fans say, but obviously he does. He seems like a pretty Madonna. Um, Kendrick Perkins, you probably know who that is. Most of you probably know that is 2008 champion with the Celtics center. Um, and he had a quote when he heard this come out, and he just put it right out there. He didn't even care what people thought, so I'm going to quote him. Kyrie looked at the schedule before the season started and planned the whole injury thing because he didn't want to go back to Boston this upcoming week. He didn't want the smoke in B-Town. So it sounds like I'm not the only one that thinks Irving um, faked an injury. and Perkins probably know a lot better than me since obviously he's played in the NBA. He's been in the Celtics. He knows Boston. So I definitely do think he faked an injury. Like shoulder injury. It's like even if he really wanted, was injured, like, you should play through it. Like, if you're a competitor, you're going to play against a team you just left, and you know the fans going to be booing. So I think that's a really, really bad look, I guess, on Kyrie. It makes him even look more, I guess, I don't know what word to say. I guess childish or cowardly. <laughs> like, he doesn't want to face the music again. And also, I guess it ruins even... I mean, it still didn't ruin our trip. I mean, the game was still fun. The Celtics not winning the game. I think it was like 121-108. Um, but it ruins, like, people that travel across the country, maybe from, I don't know, he's from Australia or wherever, that wanted to see him play in the Nets. So, I mean, it ruins that, and then people viewing it, the game was television on ESPN, so it ruins that. The NBA lost money because probably not as many people watch the game since, like, it's just the Nets, and that's kind of like everybody else is not that good besides Durant and Kyrie, so they probably lost viewers since he wasn't playing in that game, so it's just... It's disappointing, but it just makes his the next um the next game the Nets have to play in Boston. They only play twice in Boston. The next game is in March third. So that's a couple months away, but we'll be really looking forward to that. Which I guess it's gonna make him better. He's he's gonna get booed louder, yelled at, screamed at. <laughs> um Yeah. But in my t- mind he I definitely think he faked injury because it just I mean I don't think that's a coincidence. Just a week before, oh, I have a soldier injury. I'm a game-time decision. Give me a break. Makes it even worse. He didn't, again, travel with the team. Even Durant, which I know, I guess Durant almost came to the Celtics until he ruined the NBA and went to the Warriors back like three, four years ago. He wasn't even there. Um, I guess moving away from the Celtics into the um, third point of the podcast, 
Um, this is a new thing I haven't mentioned. Um, UNH has a couple big colleges. They're not like Division One, like Michigan State or Kentucky and all these schools. But um, they do have 1A and then Division Two and then Division Three, and it goes down from there. So I took, I guess, three of the biggest, I guess, in New Hampshire I know about that's around me. So it's the University of NH, SNHU, Southern New Hampshire University, and St. Anthony's College. And I put um, who will have the most successful basketball season out of the three colleges. But, yeah, University of NH had a record of has a record. The season already started like a couple weeks ago. It's a record of four and three and they're part of the American East Conference, which is I to be honest, didn't even know that's division one. I knew for f- football, but I didn't even know for basketball. But they only have a twelve man roster, which I thought I usually is a couple more guys, like thirteen, fourteen. But they seem like a pretty young team because they only have three seniors on the team, and I think UNH is more known for football because I've seen them on TV. I've never really heard anything about basketball, but I mean, I, I guess they do have a winning record through seven games. So, just looking at, like, who they have, especially the three seniors, I think that's probably, in, in college, when you go into tournaments and stuff, or the playoffs, the seniors with experience, it's really going to help the team. So, I don't think they're going to be terrible, like the Bad News Bears and things, but they'll probably float around the record of 500. It's not going to be an amazing season. I guess it's, I guess, kind of average. I think they'll finish around 500. So then moving into the next college is SNU. People like to call it short. Southern New Hampshire University. Um, so SNU is Division Two, unlike UNH. So SNU, they played only six games. Their season started too. So they're 4-2. and two, And they're a part of the Northeast 10 Conference. So it's a division, different division. Again... So this team is a little bit bigger roster, like normal. I think teams would have they have a fourteen man roster, and again they. I was surprised. I don't know if it's because of the transition, if they had a lot of seniors last year, because they only have three this year, which is not a lot of really fourteen. So, Snoo, yeah, they only have three seniors. So they're four and two, and I was looking at the the results of the last six games they played, and they did play Saint A's, who's ranked number nineteen in the nation. They gave up 104 points, and they scored 93, so they lost by 11, which isn't bad, considering St. A's is ranked. So, yeah, they're 4-2. I think they're going to have a, you know, it's kind of tough to compare them and UNH, but because UNH is playing better competitions in Division One, but I definitely think they'll have a better record than UNH. They'll probably go maybe like five games over 500, compared to UNH, and be probably floating around 500. So I guess one of the last one, which I kind of mentioned, is um, St. A's, which I think is the smallest out of the three schools I'm mentioning. But right now, they are, have a record of five and one, and they're actually ranked 19 in the nation out of the top 25 for Division Two, which I didn't even know. I was actually just playing pickup at their gym. Their gym is tiny, so they're Division Two. They're ranked 19. I think I already said that. And they actually have the biggest roster out of the two other schools. They have a 15-man roster, and they have 16 years. So looks like they have a lot of experience, and then most other guys were sophomores and juniors. They only had a few freshmen, I think. So I think SNU, they didn't blow out Southern, or not SNU, or St. A's didn't blow out um, SNU. So, but I still think they're going to have a really good record, probably like 10-15. I don't think they're going to stay in the top 25. They'll probably be close, maybe 
I'd say top 50 for Division 2, which is, I think, good. Especially if you're an H, we're not really known for, I guess, basketball. They're more known for soccer or track, I would think, not basketball or football. But, again, so I think um, St. A's is going to have the best record out of the three. They'll probably be like 10, 15 games or 500. Snoo is probably going to be 3-4. And I think UNH is going to be 500 or maybe below. So, Snoo best season. SNHU second best season, and then UNH is going to have the worst of the three. Okay. Um, now going into the next point is the Red Sox. I haven't talked about the Red Sox at all in the last yeah, the last two podcasts. So, the Red Sox, um, yeah, they had a really disappointing year last year. They were really <laughs> fun to watch. They make the playoffs. So, this isn't really to do with the season, though. This is the... This question has something to do with the upside of the season. So my point is, will the Red Sox give Mookie Bats a contract extension or let him walk in free agency to test the market to see if somebody else will give him more money? So my answer to that is, yes, I do think the Red Sox will offer Bats a contract extension because over the years they've offered guys like Pablo Sandoval, their overweight third baseman we got from the Giants. We gave him a huge contract. I think we're still paying him, even though not even on the team. Carl Crawford... Had one good year, and they paid him a ton of money. He was another bust. And then probably the worst one is Bruzny Castillo. He doesn't even play in the big league. I think his contract was like $14 mil a year for like four years. And he doesn't even play in that movie. He's like in double A ball. So seeing that they've tried, they've signed guys like that, which Betts is pretty much an MVV caliber player every year. Probably like the second best outfielder in American League right behind Trout. Um, I think they're definitely gonna offer him a contract or a contract extension, but there's a little loophole they gotta get through. The problem offering bets a big contract is that they don't want to go over the two hundred million dollar luxury payroll, which is insane that they, they MLB players make that much. So if they go over that, then they have to pay a luxury tax, and then they obviously don't want to go over the tax. You have to pay more money, and I forget what it is, but if you go over it a lot, I think it's a pretty big fine. So, I guess in order to um, uh, re-sign or have a contract for bets, they're going to have to free up some cap space. They're going to have to get money from someplace. They can't just make it up or whatever. So, I could see them trying to trade David Price, who, I mean, I don't know who many many teams are going to take him. I could see them, maybe the Angels, who small market team trying to take him, even though his contract is crazy. He makes $32 million a year. He did get us a World Series, so I'm going to give him credit for that. But we're probably going to, I would say, that's an example. We're going to have to free up cap space from either Price or maybe three, four other players combined. But like in 2012, 11, when we were kind of a down year, we had Adrian Gonzalez, and he had a really good year. I think it was 2010 or 11. And we had to move seven players to get a deal done, and we signed up for a seven-year, $154 million contract. So I think it's going to be something similar to that. I don't think we're going to have to get rid of seven players, maybe three, four, like Price and maybe like Holt and whatever, a couple other guys, to just free up some space. So if we do have a luxury tax, that's not by a lot. Again, I don't think the Red Sox are just going to let Betts try to a 5 to a player walk because teams like the White Sox, Angels, all these like Marlins who have a lot of cap space and they'll offer him some crazy huge contract. And Betts is a young guy. Still, so he might accept it, and it'd be terrible to lose him. 
But if we can get him back, and because we already have Martinez, who didn't opt out, which is surprising. You look, looks like he likes Boston. Um, but they're not gonna let him walk. You know, Betts had a down year where he batted two ninety four, which I mean isn't bad, but only had twenty nine home runs, which was the year of the long ball, seventy nine RBIs. But he did lead the league in runs at one hundred thirty four, and then a nine point one seven OPS. Um. So yeah, I do think they're gonna try to. They'll make an extension, but he might not accept it. And test will be interesting to see. But I think they're definitely gonna offer him something. Getting into the last one of the podcast, which is about the Red Sox again, is what's the Red Sox' biggest need over the uh, off season besides getting Betts back? Because that's probably up there. Because we already got Martinez coming back. So after a disappointing 2019 season where the Red Sox finished 84 and 78. People, I think, Boston and maybe other fans around the country are wondering what they're going to do with the offseason. And it wasn't last year, the offense wasn't the problem. You had Betts, Martinez, Chavez. It wasn't the problem. Devers, Bogarts, all had amazing years. So it definitely wasn't the problem. The problem was pitching. Pitching, pitching, pitching. The biggest need, I think, is pitching. And the other problem is, again, we have a lot of pitchers tied in for a lot of money. So they have... David Price, Nathan Avaldi, and Chris Sale, those guys combined make $79 million, which is a ton. That's probably a quarter, almost a, a third or quarter of their payroll, which is insane. Out of three players, all three of those players last year had down years with all ERAs. 4.2, I think Price at the lowest at 4.20, which there was a lot of injuries between the two. Nathan Avaldi didn't come back halfway this season. Sale was down through problems halfway of the year, and then Price got injured when he started off good last year. But, I mean, no excuses. They still had a terrible ERA. Boston's team, overall team RA with the bullpen, all the pitching behind was almost five, which is insane. That's probably wh- why we finished pretty much 500, because the offense was offense was scoring around five and a half runs per game. Um, To be honest, I'm surprised it didn't rank dead last in the league. The 4.7 ERA ranked 19th in the league. The problem is Rick Parcello had an absolutely terrible year. I think his ERA was almost six. It was brutal. It was like five point something. Um, he's probably gonna walk because I don't know. I don't think he can. He had that amazing year this side. I don't think he's able to handle the pressure in Boston with the media. So I think he's gonna walk. He's a free agent this year. So we already have Sale, Price, Avaldi, and then Rodriguez, who's really the only guy who had a great year last year. So we're gonna. You need. Five man pitching rotation. We only have four, so I think um our new um general manager Bloom, the young guy from the Rays, is gonna have to find somebody to sign for the fifth rotation, like maybe Andrew Kashner, like we did last year, but he sucked. But I mean, somebody cheap, but that maybe a veteran starter. So we need to fill that, and then maybe even more important than the starters, since we got four or five, is the bullpen, 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 especially in the playoffs. The most important thing in the playoffs are bullpen and defense. Last year, the bullpen was horrendous, terrible. The only good guy of the bullpen was Brandon Workman, who I didn't even know was on the team anymore last year. He had a, actually a great year. He had an ERA under two. I think it was like 1.8, which is really good for a closer. But he really isn't, again, a closer. He was just thrown into that role because we did we let Kimbrell walk which is probably a good idea because he cost the Cubs a playoff spot by giving up a run to Yelich at the end of the year so I definitely think we need to sign a closer somebody like a big name maybe like if Chapman or Batantis because I think the Yankees are going to get one of one of those to try to sign maybe another starter and I definitely need a big name out of the bullpen 
Or maybe the guy in the reds, Iglesias, somebody. It doesn't matter. Somebody that's a, a bona fide like, closer. Not like, even a workman had a great year. Workman can be the setup guy in the seventh inning. So, the other relievers, I'll name the guys. The other relievers, um, Ryan Brazier, Matt Barnes, Heath Henry, Marcus Weldon, Josh Smith, Nathan Navaldi, and Brian Johnson. Their combined ERA, like, that's six, yeah, six players. Um, their ERA was 4.86, so worse than the starting pitching. So, which the starting pitcher didn't help him because they probably put him in terrible spots in the seventh inning, but that's brutal. Five runs. So, yeah, I definitely think the Red Sox just all around is pitching between starting and even, um, yeah, bullpen. It's just pitching, pitching, pitching. The offense is fine. Coaching's fine. It's just, it's pitching, which is really important, I guess, key to winning in baseball. Just look who were in the World Series, Astros and Nationals, those two best teams. I mean, Scherzer, Strasburg, and then Cole and Verlander. They had, those are the two teams that had the best pitching in the league. Um, That pretty much wraps this podcast up. Thanks for listening, and see you later. Peace.